It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Today, like yesterday, we're going to have explosive give and takes between lawmakers and the Afghanistan Brain Trust. They gave us the the worst military disaster in, in maybe American history, and that is to dismount the evacuation from Afghanistan that left the terror organization, the Taliban, in charge. Bottom of the hour, the National Review editor, uh, he's author of The Case for Nationalism, Rich Lowry, will bring us perspective. There's a lot of politics going on. You'll see that within the big three. I will say this. Uh, a lot of what these generals said yesterday make Joe Biden look indefensible, even to his most ardent supporters. Factor that into the fact that he does not want to talk about it, won't do interviews, at the same time canceled canceled the trip over to Chicago to work on a reconciliation bill that will just bury us in debt for generations. That's the president that was elected. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Top White House advisors are telling us that Joe Biden's not going to beg. He's not going to beg Democrats to support his plan. He's not going to succumb to that pressure. That he feels at the end of the day that Democrats will rally around their Democratic president and do what he feels Democrats need to do. Uh, really, uh, that is John Vandehyg, of co-founder of Axios, the inside story in Washington. Debt ceiling stuck. Bipartisan infrastructure bill frozen. Reconciliation bill and an icy stare-off as Dems fight with Dems over ways to spend trillions of our dollars. The latest on the most consequential week in the Biden presidency. Number two. When the president of the United States tells us this isn't about freedom or personal choice, it's like a bank robber saying this isn't about the money. He's asking people to choose between a vaccine and poverty. That's not fair. The American people won't stand up for it. Senator Mike Lee, 100% correct. Mandate madness. Medical professionals get the axe because they wouldn't take the shot. Educators are on the block and law enforcement and teachers are next. Is this the way to treat American professionals with vax questions firing them? So that is the best thing to do, to fire them? That's what New York is doing and dozens of other states are queued up to follow. Number one. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops approximately stay in Afghanistan? Yes. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Yep, but you didn't listen. Joe Biden, it's on you. After Tuesday's hearing and at Wednesday House hearings that we'll be covering, uh, dipping in and out of now, we have yet to find a military advisor who recommended President Biden pull out all our troops out and leave our civilians behind in Afghanistan, as Biden's story in reality seems to further and further apart from what he keeps saying. One outraged Marine colonel speaks up, and they actually put him in jail. I am not kidding. And you'll hear some some of his comments from his parents because their son is in solitary confinement. Lieutenant Colonel in the Marines, you've seen him, and he has come out and he said flat out, uh, we have been let down by our military leaders. I hold them accountable. They should be held accountable. And when he did a few videos and then decided to resign, they then said, okay, we're going to put you in jail. They put a gag order on him. He didn't pay attention to it. So... They put him in jail. 
the brig as he waits to get tried. And that was the day, the day of yesterday's Armed Services Senate hearing. There'll be more asked about this today. Here's what Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Schiller said on August 26th on Facebook. Cut 33. And I'm not saying we've got to be in the in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. And now he's in jail. Yeah, because they want him to shut up. Why? He turned in his uniform, willing to give up his pension, uh, and they decide that he's insubordinate and they want to court-martial him. Is this, is this Alexa, Alexei Navalny? Is this Vladimir Putin? I have a somebody critical of me, so let's jail him and silence them, which, ironically, he was in court again. Yesterday, they're looking to put him in for another 10 years. Here's his dad last night with Laura Ingram, cut 34. Our son called for accountability. And throughout the hearing today, I don't feel like they accepted accountability. So I'm, I'm extremely disappointed. Uh, and, it's, and it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that they put a gag order on him and they put him in prison the day before they had to appear in front of senators and tomorrow in front of congressmen. I think... I think that is fairly an act of coward, cowardice. And nobody's been held responsible. President Biden punted, said things that were totally inaccurate. General Milley, General McKenzie, Secretary of Defense Austin, who was playing the politics game, told him this was going to happen, and it happened worse than anyone thought, and they were prepared to tell us that no one predicted they'd fall apart when we now know phone calls existed, reporting was out there that said the Afghan army was not going to fight and our people still behind closed doors. But I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Still behind enemy lines, I should say. What did we learn? When Joe Biden said no one was left behind, he lied. When Joe Biden said no one planned for the collapse of the government, uh, even though there were signs there, he lied. No one recommended that we have the white, that we have... uh, No one recommended that we leave troops, 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Incorrect. No one entertained, uh, no one even entertained resigning. That's true. The president of the United States came out and said al-Qaeda no longer in Afghanistan. Totally a lie. In fact, General Milley came out and said they're going to, he's worried that they're going to reconstitute, if not stronger, and pose a threat here between 12 and 36 months. Here are the senators demanding some accountability from the generals that put together the greatest embarrassment in American military history, cut for. One of the biggest national security fiascos in a generation, no one is accountable. And the American people are livid because they saw it, they see it, they know it's a debacle. We had a rapidly deteriorating, frankly, disastrous situation in Afghanistan, which resulted in the death of 13 soldiers, including one from my home state. Hundreds of civilians and hundreds of Americans left behind. General, I think you should resign. Secretary Austin, I think you should resign. 
I think this mission was a catastrophe. I think there's no other way to say it, and there has to be accountability. I respectfully submit it should begin with you. So you remember when Secretary of Defense Mattis came out and said, I'm going to resign, and they asked why. And he said, well, obviously the president should get somebody that he's going to listen to because he didn't listen to me, and his glass straw was when he said, I'm going to pull out of Syria and leave the Kurds alone. When President Trump said that, General Mattis, I said I quit, okay? Gone. He said, because the president deserves people he respect. Okay. Does that mean he's a quitter? No. I respect uh, General Mattis said, I'm really taking up space here. I don't need the money. Why am I doing it? So he left. I don't know why General Milley's there. General Milley spent some time, and he admitted this yesterday, he went out and talked to three authors of anti-Trump books to make sure Trump looked as bad as possible, he looked as good as possible. Someone's got to ask him. Martha, uh, Martha, Martha Blackburn did. Peril by Bob Woodward. Did you talk to Bob Woodward? Yes. Michael Bender. He wrote, frankly, we did win the election. Did you talk to him? Yes. I can alone. I alone can fix it. Did you speak to Phil Rucker? He said yes. Why is he speaking to these salacious authors who want an inside story to make himself look good? When asked, did they tell an accurate story? He says, I haven't read it. I don't believe that for a second. So why he still has a job? I don't know. I don't know if Joe Biden wants him to keep that job because he was pretty clear yesterday that he recommended a totally different strategy going forward than the one implemented that he's getting blamed for. And I get the sense that at any moment that he is going to say something like this, maybe in a different setting. Uh, This is cut three. I understand that you're the principal military advisor, that you advise, you don't decide, the president decides. But if all this is true, General Milley, why haven't you resigned? Senator, as a senior military officer, um, resigning is a really serious thing. It's a political act if I'm resigning in protest. My job is to provide advice. My statutory responsibility is to provide legal advice or best military advice to the president. And that's my legal requirement. That's what the law is. Um, The president doesn't have to agree with that advice. He doesn't have to make those decisions uh, just because we're generals. And it would be an incredible act of political defiance for a commissioned officer to just resign because my advice is not taken. This country doesn't want generals figuring out what orders we are going to accept and do or not. That's not our job. The principle of civilian control of the military is absolute. It's critical to this republic. But he doesn't have your respect. He didn't listen to you. You're getting blamed for it. Obviously, your job is to give the best advice. Nobody's listening to your advice. He ignored your advice. We cannot find a general close to the president that recommended he leave. Pull all the troops out. Here's General McKenzie, cut eight. I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion. And my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. And I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. Okay. And I'm just going to play this again. So a lot of times these questions were repeated because people could not believe what they were hearing. But this is what these generals recommended. And Joe Biden, chairman of foreign relations, never had people's respect. He would travel but talk. He was the one who said, pull everybody out of Afghanistan, told the president, I'm proud to make that decision. I remember when this war first started, we pulled out. We left in its wake 
ISIS. We had to go back in. And now, in 2008, he basically had McChrystal fired because they were mocking him because of his lack of knowledge on foreign policy. But now he's our president, and he's acting alone. The worst is for a leader not to know his weaknesses. We got that. And, man, does he have weaknesses. Cut 10. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Yes, my assessment was uh, back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout, that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that, uh, in order to move toward a negotiated, gated solution. Did you, present, did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Um, did you ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? Again, I'm not going to be able to comment on uh, those executive discussions. Did General Miller ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? I think it would be best to ask him. I believe that his opinion was well heard. Okay. So he doesn't listen or he quickly forgets. And, and after this, I'll go to break and we'll take some calls. one 408 7669 And I'll have more on this tonight at 7 on primetime on Fox News. Cut 12. Your top military advisors warned against withdrawing on this timeline. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame, all troops. They didn't argue against that. So no, no one told your military advisors did not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Okay, someone is flat out lying. And if he really forgot it, I go back in his track record and know that before he forgot it, that's what he always wanted to do. And when Barack Obama hesitated and was listening to his generals, he would walk in, been chronicled many places, never denied by President Obama, and said, don't let these generals roll you. So you didn't, President Biden. And now we have lost credibility on the world stage with our allies, and certainly our enemies are toasting the fact that they beat, they beat Goliath. And they were, And David was armed by a so-called ally of ours, Pakistan, no one ever calls out Pakistan. And we didn't even hear anything about that call to Ghani where President Biden said, and I'll paraphrase, even if things aren't so good, we need to change the perception that things aren't. Say something different. That's it. That's a treasonous call. I'm not going to say impeaching. I think impeaching hurts the country. Treasonous. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 7669. Then we bring in Rich Lowry to get a perspective from Republicans. Also, I'm going to talk about the spending bill and the mandates that have cops, medical workers, and teachers being fired. Don't move. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. 
As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I am definitely heartbroken over it. I'm, I mean, I'm a, I know in my heart that I'm a great nurse. I, alone at our hospital, have been nominated for the Daisy Award uh, three times since I've been there. So I'm, I know I'm a good nurse and other people see it too. And I went specifically to work at this smaller hospital to not feel like another number. And I can tell you leaving there, I definitely feel like another number after the way that they've handled all of this. And I'm heartbroken by it. And that is a nurse. uh, And she has been fired uh, because she will not get the vaccine. She had, in her case in particular, she knows she has the antibodies because she had the coronavirus before. And her name is Destiny Carpenter. She was on Fox and Friends today as a registered nurse. She was told, basically, you're not on the schedule. You can go home. All right. So that's one. And it's bad. Does it get worse? Sure. The Catholic Health University system has furloughed 700 employees for defying the state mandate. The Stony Brook University hospital system, also in New York, suspended without pay 200 employees, even though 93 percent of their staff is vaccinated. Northwell on Monday fired two dozen people in leadership positions. Mount Sinai, Nassau County, Long Island, in Oceanside, 65 fired. NYU has 99% vaccinated, but they plan on suspending or firing the 1%. I thought that herd immunity is 75%. If you take a natural immunity, couldn't this be a situation where the people you were banging pots and pans for and hailing as heroes and doing telethons and music festivals for, you could actually let them have a job? But guess what? The worst is yet to come because the teachers union, according to the president, has till this Friday in New York, 97% of the teachers are vaccinated. For that 3%, they will be fired on Friday, two days from now. Isn't that nice? Isn't that uh, open and honest in the middle of a pandemic? People are saying, I don't like the idea. You tell me what shots to get as president, as governor, as mayor. Do you blame them? Can we be treated like uh, mature adults? Gavin Newsom is studying. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Statewide vaccine mandates, he's about to put that into play. Harsh, heartless, and self-defeating. That's what all this is. You want to alienate people? You do stuff like that. Now, Lee Zeldin's a congressman from New York, wants to be governor of New York, said he would never have done this. Let's listen to a little of it. Cut 40. It doesn't have to be this way. How we got to this place over the course of the last year and a half, you had people like Marilyn and all of her colleagues all across New York. They were working. They were essential workers. They were held as heroes, as frontline workers. Many got exposed to COVID themselves. They were worried about bringing COVID back home to their families. They were sick, recovered. They saw death around them. It was, it was a stressful setting. I remember this time last year, you had President Biden as a candidate, uh, Kamala Harris as a candidate, uh, all attacking this vaccine. So you can imagine why people are still a little on the fence. Smart people when it comes to this, their personal history, taking shots in particular and being pushed around. People don't like it. Americans in particular don't like it. And not many people believe that this vaccine will be the only thing we'll be mandated to take. Next, they're going to come after the five-year-old kid. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade that would mean a minimum of four thousand would be um would still be there now would anyone disagree with that uh, by your silence i assume yeah you agree i, I don't i personally don't believe that there are four thousand american citizens uh, uh still left in afghanistan but i cannot confirm or, or deny that uh Senator. What is the administration's current best estimate of the number of Americans that are in Afghanistan? Uh, Senator, uh, according to, uh, to state, there are currently fewer than 100 American citizens who want to depart and are ready to leave. Uh, we, we got out uh, 21 American citizens today, uh, along with their family members. Well, there are thousands that are in the sky, or uh, I'd say a few hundred that are in the sky on a plane, and right now they're circling around. They thought they were going to go to JFK yesterday, and they got denied because suddenly State Department says, well, I haven't screened these people, so I guess we're not going to be let them go in the JFK. Send them to Dulles because so many of those planes land in Dulles, big airfield, put them on the side, then secure it. Then they said no, and then they went back to UAE full of some American children with blue cards, regular passports. They went back to UAE, and they said you can't stay here in Abu Dhabi. Forget it. So now they need a way to get back. They have congressmen and women. Congressman Mackey was on with us today. We should actually pull that, Allison. She's talking about a softball game with Carly Shimkus, the, the Republican Democratic softball game at Nationals Park. And she said, I'm, I was up all night because we're trying to bring Americans home. And the State Department is not letting us land anywhere. Is that unbelievable? So here she is in a baseball uniform, and I go, wait a second, that's news. You're not letting them land. Where are they now? They were in the air all night, and they went back to Abu Dhabi, and they said, you can't stay here. There's little kids on there. It's incredible. Rich Lowry joins us now from National Review. He's the editor. Hey, Rich, 
the, the lack of interest in this administration of getting Americans and allies and green card holders out is stunning. It's baffling. It's shocking. It's, I literally believe that I believe that wouldn't be possible in this country. I, I thought he wouldn't be able to leave Americans behind, no matter how sad he was on the August 31st deadline. He'd have to back off. He didn't. And, and now you, you, with some honorable exceptions, you hear very little about the fact that we left people behind enemy lines, and they're still there, and they're still desperate to get out. I, I do think the whole Afghan episode, even though I thought the reaction, just the sheer dishonor of it, would be much more vociferous. I think it has to some extent hollowed out his presidency from within. I think there are a lot of people, just based on the sheer ineptitude of it, who won't look at him the same ever again, and and that's playing into his polling drop. So, Rich, you're somebody who's been around Washington forever, as is Joe Biden. And having said all that, you believe that Democrats feel that way? I think some Democrats do, yeah. I think elected Democrats probably privately, and I just have friends who have more Democrat friends than, than I do who, who say um, you, you know, they, they've been talking to them, and you know they're not Trump people. They, they voted for Biden, and they're just, what's this? What happened? This is what we were voting for? So I, I, do, I do think it's uh, – I, I think it's prevalent. And, you know, in most polls, you ask Democrats, do you still support Biden? They say yes. But I do. I think there's this doubt even in a lot of their minds. I want to get into the spending and also what you wrote about when it comes to Border Patrol. But I want you to hear Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Cut six. How dare them not be able at this point to say, OK, these are the number of cases we have. Here are the ones that are left. Whether they were there working, contracting, whether they're missionaries or aid workers, people are hearing about this and they want to help yeah. get people out. And nobody seems to care. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, how do we get these people out? What are their names? Last night I was, uh, we were contacted by somebody, and we might have them on primetime tonight, uh, whose family, he's trying to get her fa- his family out. But he doesn't. She yeah. does not want to go on the air because she's afraid that they're going to recognize her. So, uh, long story short, we have uh, we have um, crew in the sky right now. They can't land in an American airport because their manifest has not been checked out by the State Department. Meanwhile, that means the the, the Green Berets and Navy SEALs that are working this for free don't have any credibility, I guess, with defense. But that's one of the major things. They left Americans behind, and they don't care about fixing it. Yeah, and, and, and the people who care more than the United States government are private actors. They're NGOs. They've been journalistic organizations in some cases, and there have been these former military and special forces guys who went and ran missions to, to get people out when the U.S. military wasn't doing it and wasn't permitted to doing it. it it's just – again, I, I can't use the word shocking enough. You know, in, in Teddy Roosevelt's presidency, there was one guy – kidnapped by bandits in, in Morocco, wherever it was. And, you know, he, he sent the fleet there to, to go get him out. And that, that there's this lack of interest but on the part of the United States government in, in the people it is supposed to be most committed to uh, protecting and keeping out of harm's way is just, uh, it's unfathomable to me. So you have a few things in a few different areas that are overwhelming. You have a spending issue that they're working through on a pure Democratic side. They can't get together on the bipartisan deal the Senate handed them or their reconciliation deal that they were supposed to get done themselves, simply simple party line vote. But I want to talk about the border. Uh, you had Barack Obama weighed in yesterday, and he said something that didn't really make the cut on ABC, and it didn't also didn't make the cut 
uh, it didn't make the cut uh, for the readout with the White House. And when Barack Obama weighed in, he talked about a broken immigration system, yeah, but he also talked about borders. And I think this is a logical statement, but it's totally uh, an, an, an antagonist to what Joe Biden's been saying, Cut 52. Immigration is tough. It always has been. Because on the one hand, uh, I think we are naturally uh, a, a people that wants to help others. At the same time, uh, we're a nation state. We have borders. The idea that we can just have open borders is something that practical matter is, is unsustainable. Now that is a way somebody wants to do a deal. He's not president anymore, of course. But you can't get immigration. This is our big thing is, well, the immigration system's broken. You're not going to have any reform without border security. The border's totally out of control. He's admitting the border's not sealed, and you need to as a country, and not be called a racist. Yeah, so it's just another indication. Biden is governing to the left of Barack Obama. Uh, Biden, his, his political skill has always been staying in the center of gravity of his party. His party has moved even further left since Barack Obama. Uh, was president, and he's right there with him. And he just blew up a, a system that that Trump came up with at the border after a lot of trial and error, after a lot of missteps, and after seeing his own surge. You know, 2019, the border was surging out of control, and Donald Trump is all about the border. He's tearing his hair out. Said, "Guys, figure this out. There has to be a better way." And some really clever people and creative people in his administration found out a better way, which is that when people apply for asylum, keep it in Mexico. So they're not released to the United States, never to be seen again. And we released 10 to 12,000 of these migrants into the, the, the U.S. There, there were some flights to Haiti, and they, they deportation flights, and they tried to make that seem as though it was the only thing that was going on. It wasn't. Word gets out. You let one migrant in. That migrant has a, a cell phone or Facebook. is going to let other people know what happened. If you do it with 10 or 12,000, the message gets out. And, of course, you have uh, another caravan heading north. So you have this story today, the age of uh, progressive misinformation about what happened with the horse uh, horse gate at, at the border, where you had these these uh, border patrol agents be accused of whipping Haitians. Not true. They were using reins to move their horse through difficult terrain. And even the El Paso newspaper that originally wrote the story said it wasn't true, and they corrected it. And then the per- the photographer that took the picture said there was nothing wrong going on. Here's what Jim Jordan said. Um, uh, about what else is going on at the border. Cut 53. The Border Patrol was given official notice that if Border Patrol agents don't get the vaccine by November of this year, so six weeks from now, if they don't get the vaccine, they're going to be fired. Uh, fired. So meanwhile, today we had a briefing from Secretary Mayorkas, and we asked him about what's happening with these this flood of migrants coming across the border, our southern border, and he said, relative to the vaccine, he said, we ask them if they want it, it's their choice. So think about that. The people who have been busting their tails, enforcing our law, doing their job on the border, they're going to get fired if they don't take the vaccine. Meanwhile, for people who break the law and come in here, no big deal. No, your choice. It's up to you. Take take that on, Rich. Yeah, that, that makes zero sense, of course. And it's like what Jen Psaki said a week or so ago when she was asked about a similar disparity, you know, are the migrants being tested um, and she's like, no, they're just here temporarily. No, they're not. Like 10 or 12, <laughs> one, they're coming to stay permanently. And 10 or 12,000, the folks in that camp are in the United States now, and they're never going to leave. They're never going to leave. They, they don't, even if they show up for some initial hearings, they're not going to show up for the deportation hearing because they're not stupid. Uh, so, so this is just another contradiction. And it's just the, the border, it, it's made no sense. 
Uh, and it's why his numbers have been in the tank on the border from the beginning of his presidency, because he blew up something unnecessarily. And, and people can see with their eyes what's happening. And I think that that image of that Del Rio encampment will play all the way through the, the midterms and stand for his failures at the border. Right. And it is a failure at the border. And the Border Patrol that are overworked, underpaid and certainly underappreciated wonder when this is going to stop. And now we have two more major caravans coming our way. Mayorkas not pushing to get the remain in Mexico. He said Mexico won't agree to it, but they're not even asking. Uh, meanwhile, we know, too, the caravans are coming up through Colombia, an ally, through Panama, an ally. And we've done nothing to pick up the phone and say, hey, guys, stop it. Uh, knock it off yeah, there. But- Apply for asylum there. I mean, you're not asking to go through Venezuela. That's another issue. But listen to what, playing to your article, I want you to hear what President Biden said uh, about the horse, uh, the horse agent uh, for, the, for the border guards on horses. He basically came out and said that there'll be, uh, they're going to pay for this. If uh, they're going to do an investigation, they're going to pay for this. He wanted to talk about that rather than the border issue. You wrote about that. Yeah, so it's, it's the five guys who evidently were the only ones in the entire apparatus of the United States government who are actually trying to do their job and trying to exclude these uh, migrants from the United States and get them to go back across from the, the Rio Grande. We've used horses and, and the Border Patrol, I think, since the creation of the Border Patrol since 1924. They're highly trained. They, I, I don't know anything about horses. I, I'm a city slicker. But uh, I'm told just some of those maneuvers you saw uh, with those guys near the Rio Grande, you, know, you have to be a really accomplished rider to do it. And, and the idea they're whipping them was a lie, and it was an easily ascertainable lie. Everyone who was paying attention and cared knew within a couple hours that it was a lie. And the president of the United States, days later, lies about these guys, prejudges their investigation. There shouldn't be, even be an investigation. We know what happened. And it's, it's shameful. They worked for him. They're, they're trying to enforce the laws that he's sworn to uphold. So I go back and forth, Brian, whether it's just totally cynical and he's just, he, he knows what he's doing and he's just lying for political convenience or he just doesn't have the ability to rationally evaluate evidence. But whatever it is, it's really bad. Hey, Rich, it was our drone team that put those pictures on that obscure bridge in the middle of nowhere that showed tens of thousands of Haitians under a bridge and the numbers kept growing. That forced this issue. That brought this story back. The networks had left this story. But when he got a hold of what he thinks is a race-related law enforcement issue, he pivoted there right away, as did Vice President Harris, not talking about the border, but talking about the Border Patrol on horseback and how they're treating Haitians. Yeah, that, that's the that's the case for cynicism, and I, and I think that's that's kind of where I tilt. That they just lied about this because they 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 wanted a different narrative, and this was a convenient narrative that they knew would play to the left at the time the left was hitting them. You know, the, the left was saying, "What are you doing? You know, you're you're sending Haitian migrants back to Haiti. How can you do that?" You had a resignation at the State Department. No resignations over Afghanistan, but there was an official re- resignation over deporting people. So so they they use this. And I, I've talked to some some Border Patrol, you know, former Trump officials, border officials and whatnot. And and I, I've been urging them to start a GoFundMe uh, for these guys, for their legal fees, for maybe, you know, funds to, to fund their kids education for the reputational hit they've taken. But they did nothing except for go out and, and do their job. And they've been smeared by the highest officials in the United States government for it. Yeah, I want you to hear uh, real quick a little of Jim Vandehei of M- uh, of, of Axios, co-founder, about the chances of this 3.5 or even the 1.2 bill.
billion and the debt ceiling being raised. Cut 51. Top White House advisors are telling us that Joe Biden's not going to beg. He's not going to beg Democrats to support his plan. He's not going to succumb to that pressure and do kind of what uh, Congresswoman Dingell was saying, that he feels at the end of the day that Democrats will rally around their Democratic president and do what he feels Democrats need to do. Right. So does that mean you believe, Rich Lowry, that something will be passed in reconciliation? I still think they'll they'll get it because. One, it just seems so idiotic for me for the progressives to bring down the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is a bad bill and is a huge, huge amount of spending and a lot of stuff they like in there. And then they're not going to get the 3.5 reconciliation. It's just a mit reality. So to me, it seems the obvious play. You pass the bipartisan bill and then, then you go to Manhattan and Cinema. OK, what, what can you support? You know, is it going to be 1.5? Is it going to be two? It's still a, a heck of a lot of spending. But so far, they don't seem to be thinking that way. So there's there's some chance I'm up now to. Last time we talked, I said maybe 15 percent chance they both go down. I'd be up to 25 percent chance they both go down. I still think they'll stare in the abyss and, and step back from the edge because they know it'll be such a disaster for the party and for Biden if they go down. But the longer it drags out and the lower Biden's um, approval numbers sink, the higher the likelihood that they, they both go down, which, which would probably crater his presidency. Yeah, that would be fascinting. one 408 We'll be back with calls in a moment. Rich Lowry, pick up the Nash Review. Thanks so much, Rich. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Right. Uh, and we'll be talking about his presidency. It really comes down to the end of this week or next or just phone it in. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your calls in just a moment. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. My fear is that if the dual agreement that was reached is broken and we just passed the infrastructure bill, the leverage that we have here in the Senate to pass the reconciliation bill will be largely gone. I think the one hope we have is to say, look, if you guys want to pass the infrastructure bill, I want to pass it. You want to pass that? You're going to have to deal with infrastructure. You're going to have to deal with reconciliation. You can't just keep slow walking this thing. So he will not vote, he said, for the 1.2 unless the 3.5 is all drawn up and he accepts it, as will Norwell AOC. If you can follow all that, just know one is a party alone. The other one has a handful of Republicans there. Quick note, tonight, 7 o'clock, I'll be discussing this, any progress made, as well as the hearings today, with uh, which we're happening right now. We'll bring you some, and we're monitoring it if something should come up. General Milley's now speaking on his prepared remarks. Chris Christie uh, will be on tonight. He is basically running for president, but right now wants to flip the House and Senate red. Uh, Senator Kennedy on what he sees and what he asks today. General Boldick made a lot of news yesterday with us, what he thinks that Christie should have done, excuse me, Milley should have done, uh, in terms of handing in his stars and bars, Michael Walt will be with us, and Molly Hemingway will be there. And we're going to talk to the parents of the jail lieutenant colonel Marine uh, Scheller about what it's like having their son do the right thing at the same time get jailed because of it. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. 
1-866-408-7669. The number to call anytime, anywhere. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Senator Rick Scott's going to be with us in Florida. He was able to, on the On Services Committee, he was able to be a part of these hearings uh, with McKenzie, Millie, and Austin. Uh, can't wait to get his up-close personal opinion in retrospect of what he heard. So many of it I found disturbing. As did Senator Ben Sass. I got his email yesterday from his office, and I saw how incensed he was and how it read in he was on all the operations and the dangers of leaving Afghanistan, and we did it anyway. He'll be with us live. And I'll be dipping in and seeing what we're able to pull out from the opening statements of General Milley, General Austin, as well as McKenzie if he decides to read it. I don't think McKenzie read anything yesterday, uh, but we had both chairman and ranking member uh, go, and soon I hope they watch the Senate side so we can move this forward. But there's so many questions to answer I will bring you the latest, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Top White House advisors are telling us that Joe Biden's not going to beg. He's not going to beg Democrats to support his plan. He's not going to succumb to that pressure. That He feels at the end of the day that Democrats will rally around their Democratic president and do what he feels Democrats need to do. Yeah, we'll see, Jim Vandehei of Axios. Debt ceiling, stuck. Bipartisan infrastructure bill, frozen. Reconciliation bill in an icy stare-off between Dems. Yep, they're trying to spend trillions of dollars that can't agree how. The latest on the most consequential week in the Biden presidency. Number two. When the president of the United States tells us this isn't about freedom or personal choice, it's like a bank robber saying this isn't about the money. He's asking people to choose between a vaccine and poverty. That's not fair. The American people won't stand up for it. Mandate madness. Medical professionals get the axe because they wouldn't take the shot. Educators are on the block and law enforcement and teachers are next. Is this the way to treat American professionals with vax questions? Firing them? That's what New York is doing and dozens of other states are ready to follow. Number one. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops approximately stay in Afghanistan. Yes. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. And it went on from there. It's on you, Joe. After Tuesday's hearing and Wednesday's House hearings are going on right now, we have yet to find a military advisor who recommended President Biden pull out all of our troops leaving our civilians behind in Afghanistan. As Biden's story and reality seem further and further apart, and one outraged Marine colonel ends up in jail for pointing it out. And I am not kidding. So uh, let's begin. And we're going to uh, do that with Senator Rick Scott. Senator Scott, I'm watching what's, uh, what's going on in the House hearings. Looks like they're reading some of the same remarks for you. What's your takeaway from yesterday's hearings? Well, first off, this was 100% Joe Biden's horrible decision 
We left. I mean, it's the Biden policy now to leave American citizens behind, you know, and take the military out, which what's the military there for? It's to protect American citizens, a part of it. Number that's number one. Number two is is he he made this decision without with with the you know the opposite advice of his military leaders. Didn't he say, oh, everybody agreed with him? No, they didn't. And then so it doesn't make any sense. He left he we lost thirteen members of our of our military because of his his bad decision. So Joe Biden has a hundred percent responsibility for thirteen American citizens that lost their life and American citizens left behind because of his decision. And this we he has to be eventually held accountable for this. He's hurt our reputation, but most importantly, we've lost Americans and we have Americans in harm's way. Uh, There's no question. And remember, Secretary of Defense Mattis walked away from President Trump. Why? He said he needs somebody that he's going to listen to. He obviously doesn't like my advice because I told him not to leave Syria and he pulled out troops anyway. So I quit. Does that mean General Mattis doesn't have any integrity? Because General Milley's reaction to when that was brought up was, I don't even understand his logic. He said, just because I disagree with the president, I shouldn't resign. No, he ignored you on one of the most consequential decisions over the last 50 years for any military officer or president to make, and he embarrassed us around the globe for generations. Yeah, resign. If you don't like what somebody's doing, you don't stick around and enforce it. You don't keep a job if you don't like what the CEO's doing. He just wants his job. And by the way, why is he talking to reporters about the prior president? But then he comes to a hearing and says, oh, wait, I can't say a word about what, what I've told the president. I can tell you my opinion, but not what I would. But I can talk to a reporter about what I told President Trump. I mean, that's what he's doing. I know. I mean, why is he, the sitting uh, chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, talking to a, an author of a book about a prior president? Why is he doing that? Senator Scott, it was peril. He talked to Bob Woodward. He did this the book, frankly, we uh, we did win the election, Michael Bender. He talked to him. I alone can fix it. Phil Rucker, he talked to him. What do they have in common? They're all big Donald Trump hit books. He provided the insider information, but yet he was actually protective of his advice that he gave the president in front of you guys. But we did get a lot. We got a lot out of this in that he did not want this policy. Meanwhile, he just read this, and I think this is important. When you talk to Mike Pompeo, when you talk to uh, Robert O'Brien, when you talk to anyone involved in these negotiations uh, for uh, – and I think it was a mistake talking to the Taliban to begin with. They, we should have got out a different way. But if you said that if there was a violation, the whole thing the whole thing was off. And that's why many people say that they never would have pulled out because Donald Trump said if you violate our agreement, we're not going to actually uh, leave the country. Here's what my, uh, General Milley just said. Under the Doha Agreement, the United States will begin to withdraw its forces contingent upon the Taliban meeting certain conditions, which would lead to a political agreement between the Taliban and the government of Afghanistan. There were seven conditions applicable to the Taliban and eight to the United States. While the Taliban did not attack the United States forces, which was one of the conditions, it failed to fully honor any other condition under the Doha Agreement. And perhaps most importantly for the United States national security, the Taliban has never renounced their linkages with al-Qaeda or broke their affiliation with them. We, the United States, adhered to every condition. And then we left. And we left thousands of people behind. And we took out the military first, even though we had every reason, a valid reason, to go back on this six-page agreement. 
Right. And, and, and Biden, made the, Biden made these choices to leave American citizens behind. Why, if you were going to do this, what he did, why wouldn't you have gotten American citizens out three months ago? I know. I mean, why? They can't, they can't explain that. But by the way, nobody yesterday took responsibility for the 13 people that died. They didn't take responsibility for the Afghan military that must not have been prepared. And by the way, it doesn't make you mad when you hear Joe Biden right, go and attack the Afghan military. I mean, I mean, he's walking away, but he wants to go attack the Afghan military. Right. He also so this he, is disgusting. I said, I didn't see the whole thing because I'm doing the show simultaneously, and it, it started at 9:30 yesterday. But did anyone ask about the Gahani uh, call, where he was on with the president, uh, and the president basically said, "We're not military guys, but uh, what I would do is get all your warlords, fight like hell, and essentially this perception is we're losing. So say we're winning. Yeah, say you're winning, even if it's not true." As I paraphrase, did anyone ask about those calls? No, no, I, I didn't ask about those, but I, but I asked, how did, it, how did it make you guys feel when you saw Joe Biden go say to the American public that he would never leave an American behind, and you had a plan to leave Americans behind, and you didn't? The, the president lied to the American people, and you stood there and did nothing about it. That's 100 percent true. I want to bring you to something else. There's a lieutenant colonel Marine in jail right now because he said this, cut 33. And I'm not saying we've got to be in the in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. They told him to, to stop it. He said, no, I'm, I'm quitting. And this, you guys be accountable. My friends died there. I served multiple tours there. I will not be quiet. They threw him in jail. Here's his, here's his dad, cut 35. Is it okay with you that a 17-year infantry officer that put his life on the line to protect you and protect your children, is it okay for, with you that he is put in jail and is facing a court-martial? He didn't murder anyone. He didn't sexually offend anyone. He didn't do drugs. He asked for accountability. He spoke his truth, and they couldn't handle it. Your thoughts, Senator Rick Scott? Well, but, but Milley, General Milley can go out there and talk to reporters about their writing a book about the prior president, and he's got sensitive information, right? So what's, we're, there's a double standard here. If 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 they if you're not allowed to talk about what you think about these things, then how can that individual be in prison and General Milley could be sitting there testifying in front of Congress? So such a I mean, great this point. Make any sense. Such a great point. Is there anything you can do? You're a military guy. We're I'm, we're going to find out exactly what's happening. I'm gonna, I'm not going to let up on this. We're going to we're going to make sure first off. There, ha- there cannot be a different standard because you're a general than if you're not. I mean, there shouldn't. I, w- I mean, I enlisted in the U.S. Navy. There shouldn't have been dif- different standards for me than there was for the officers. As a matter of fact, the officers should have a higher standard, right? So military should have a higher standard than everybody else, right? 
Yes. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to make sure we have a we we apply the rules the same way to everybody. And I'm going to continue to do everything I can to find out exactly what happened, who made the decisions. And there has to be accountability. So I want to bring everyone up to the inside story in Washington. They're debating on a bipartisan bill, one point two trillion. Did you vote for that bill in the Senate? No. I mean, look, all this spending is causing inflation. It's it's hurting our families. I grew up in a poor family. We lived in public housing. This inflation was hurting my mom when she was trying to put food on the table. They're, these Democrats and this spending is doing the exact same thing. Gas prices up, food prices up, home prices are up, car prices are up. What are they? All this spending is just causing inflation to go out the wind. I mean, it's horrible what's going on right now. I mean, it, and then they just want to, you know, up here, people just want to keep spending money. The Democrats are bankrupting this country and hurting our families with inflation. So you kind of help us. everything for, I can to keep stopping it. Well, right now you're helpless because uh, they have the advantage in the Senate and the House, but they can't get agreement. So here's what Bernie Sanders, who's chairman of the Budget Committee, because uh, the Republicans blew Georgia. Listen to what he said. He won't even sign up for a bill you don't like, which was looked like there's a co- is listed as a compromise bill. Listen to what he said. Cut 47. My fear is that if the dual agreement that was reached is broken and we just passed the infrastructure bill, the leverage that we have here in the Senate to pass the reconciliation bill will be largely gone. I think the one hope we have is to say, look, if you guys want to pass the infrastructure bill, I want to pass it. You want to pass that? You're going to have to deal with infrastructure. You're going to have to deal with reconciliation. You can't just keep slow walking this thing. So they want uh, they want tree equity. They want the to the three trillion dollar bill along with the one point two, and they're pressuring each other to get this done. You walk the halls. You talk to some Democrats. Are they going to get this done? I'm I'm hopeful for the American public that they don't. And by the way, this infrastructure bill, less than half of it is roads, bridges, airports, and seaports, and it runs up our debt by a quarter of a trillion dollars, one bill. All right? This is reckless spending. Nineteen so Republicans that, went why, along with it. But I'm I'm going to continue to make sure the American public, if this doesn't happen, it's because the American public let their House and Senate members know we're tired of this. We're tired of reckless spending. We're tired of inflation. We're tired of our taxes going up. And that's that I'm going to do everything I can to continue to make sure the American public knows exactly what's in these bills. Lastly, the debt ceiling. You guys will not sign off on raising it. Here's what Janet Yellen said, the Treasury Secretary. Cut 14. 44, excuse me. It would be disastrous for the American economy, for global financial markets, and for millions of families and workers whose financial security would be jeopardized by delayed payments. So are you willing to put up with that? Are you willing it, to be responsible for that disaster? It's, it's devastating for everybody to keep wasting money. I will not vote to raise the debt ceiling unless we completely change the direction of this country with regard to spending. We have got to get our house in order. If you care about Medicare, if you care about Social Security, if you care about our military, we have got to get our house in order. I paid off a third, third state debt when I was governor of Florida, and I walked in with a $4 billion budget deficit. We can do this. Up here, they just want to spend money. So the Democrats, they control the House the Senate, and, and, and the, uh, on the White House. 
If they want to raise the debt ceiling, they can do it on their own. I hope we get structural change. That's what I'm fighting for every day. We've got to change the direction of this country. We cannot keep wasting money, causing ridiculous inflation, which will right. never give us the ability to fix and, and take care of Social Security, Medicare, and our military. Well, no one's talking about structural change. They had Simpson Bowls, and no one even paid attention to it. That was while well, you were governor of Florida. Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. I understand your outrage. We'll see what comes out of today's hearings in front of the House. Thank you. All right. See you, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Stay with us. Bottom of the hour. More insight from Senator Ben Sass. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With respect to the Chinese calls... I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These military-to-military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. I, so I read Peril last night, the part when he uh, evidently told Bob Woodward what he said happened, and they have the whole readout of the call, verbatim readout, that Pelosi called Milley. She was totally out of her mind after January 6th. She thought the president was totally out of his mind. She told General Milley, you couldn't stop him in January 6th. It was totally planned. What makes me think you're going to be able to stop him when it comes to bombing the Chinese? So this was the call back and forth. That prompted him, it seems, to make the call to the Chinese who said they, would, they were alarmed by, the, uh, by seeing people invade the Capitol and wondering what's happening to this great power. And that's when he called up. But what General Milley never answered yesterday, which I hope people will be astute enough to ask him today, would be, what makes you think that the Chinese thought that they were going to bomb them? What did you read, number one? Number two, when asked by Senator Sullivan, you said to your counterpart, we've known each other for five years if we were something was going to happen, I'd let. If we were going to attack you, we'd let you know ahead of time. Senator Sullivan says, "Really? Do you think they would reciprocate? Do you think if they were going to take Taiwan, Taiwan, they would call you ahead of time?" And he skirted around the issue, but that is the analogy, and the farcical nature in which General Milley colors himself as a nonpartisan hero, and he's not. Senator Ben Sass next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I won't share my personal recommendation to the president, but I will give you my honest opinion, and my honest opinion and view shaped my recommendation. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. 
and I also recommended earlier in the fall of 2020 that we maintain 4,500 at that time. Those are my personal views. I also have a view that the withdrawal of those forces would lead inevitably to the collapse of the Afghan military forces and eventually the Afghan government. And that is General McKenzie, who reportedly not denied. Uh, also, when I got a call from the Taliban, do you want us to take Kabul or are you going to take it and secure it because the ministries are abandoned? He said, no, we just need the airport. Please tell me on what planet that was a good call. Meanwhile, he made it clear he never would have been in this position if the president listened to him because we would have at least, would have at least left 2,500 troops. There were over 3,000 troops when the president took office. Joining me now, a man who's incensed like all of us, Senator Ben Sass. Senator, you watched yesterday's proceedings. You are probably watching some of the House proceedings, and you're outraged by the different take that his military people had then they were portrayed by the president of the United States. Yeah, Brian, thanks for thanks for having me on. Obviously, yesterday's hearing uh, was a disaster for the White House because it's increasingly clear that President Biden just ignored warnings. I knew of the warnings from the intelligence community, but you know, most of us assumed that what the generals were saying in private was in line with that. And the generals and the intel folks gave clear warnings to the White House, and the president decided to ignore them and then just lie about it. And so yesterday, I think what happened is you saw the generals directly contradict President Biden's statements. The president said that nobody recommended that he leave the 2,500 troops. And the generals basically said, yeah, actually, we did. That is what we recommended. So I think we saw both General McKinsey and General Austin Miller, among a whole host of other advisors, recommend to the Biden administration that they needed to maintain those 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Um, And General McKinsey flatly admitted under oath yesterday that that is what he said. And the president just lied about it repeatedly. And he, uh, you know, Jen Psaki was asked by other outlets besides Fox, believe it or not, uh, over and over again. Can you name another general that recommended something different than General Milley and General McKenzie? You said there was a there was split. Well, who split? Who who in the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff says I have a great idea? Let's leave now with a lot of with about thousands of unknown number of citizens uh, behind. Let's leave Bagram Air Base and let's let the Taliban collapse. Here yeah. is the President of the United States on August twentieth. I want you to hear that. Oh, excuse me, on July eighth, cut fifteen. The Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an Air Force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. He also said that it will not be Saigon. It was clearly worse. Do you, knowing that we now know about Gahani's call, when he asked for reinforcements, and he talked about 10 to 15,000 Pakistan. Uh, uh, Pakistani armed uh, terrorists that are pouring in their border, knowing that he told Gahani, basically change your story because the perception is you're losing. Do you think he was lying on July 8th or was he just delusional? Uh, both. Um, but the, the challenge of trying to make sense of it, you know, you're asking intelligible questions. And when you ask intelligible questions about how do you make sense what they said on July 8th versus July 20th versus August 5th versus August 15th, um, you're talking about it in a military strategic way, in a diplomatic way, or in a moral way. And the White House has repeatedly thought of this as only a PR crisis. They just assume that the American people aren't going to pay attention and the mainstream media is going to run cover for them. And so they treat this as a PR crisis to just jump from one news cycle 
cycle to the next. It isn't that. This is a moral crisis, and it's a moral crisis of the president's own making. He lied. The President Biden lied when he said he would stay until every American got out, and he just assumed everybody would forget by the next cycle. He lied when he said um, that the Taliban uh, would give us and our allies safe passage to the Kabul airport. That was always nuts. These are bloodthirsty terrorists. He just assumed people would forget by the next news cycle. The president lied about the airstrike that ended up killing innocent Afghans. Why, why would the airstrike fail? Because our military is bad people? No, because we had no intel on the ground because the president pulled everybody out. The president lied about the warnings the generals and the intel community were giving leading up to the withdrawal. He has viewed this as just bumper sticker nonsense to bumper sticker nonsense. And what the American people need is the truth. We need a president that's serious about the foreign policy implications of the disaster he created. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if you're asking what went wrong, we get, we get, we don't have enough time in anybody's show. Yep. However, what do we do from here with those trapped behind enemy lines? Uh, that's what Senator Tom Cotton asked yesterday. Listen to this. Cut seven. It's the same story we've heard from the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, whose responsibility it is to know the answers to those questions. But I do think when you add up American citizens and green card holders who have well, a right to he, travel he in and out of this country, green live and work holders. here. Yeah. He admitted that. And, the, and their families. And that's, yeah, and that's to say nothing of the fact, Sean, that of all the thousands of Afghans we brought out who had no connection to the United States at all, about whom we know almost nothing, we also left behind thousands of Afghans who were approved and vetted special immigrant visa holders. This is all a result of Joe Biden's chaotic, disorganized, ill-planned withdrawal from Afghanistan, which we heard today. So, and we have a plane in the sky that was flying to JFK that the statement of Martin said, turn around, we will not accept you. First, they tried to get into Dulles. There's American children on board. Senator Sass, there's no interest in bringing Americans out of Afghanistan. Again... Brian, because they want to view this as just a PR crisis. The the president's amorality and immorality about the American citizens, about the American green card holders, about the SIVs, it is breathtaking. It has been weeks, and we still can't get any straight answer from the State Department or from the White House on exactly how many Americans, how many American green card holders, how many SIVs are still trapped behind enemy lines, and they just keep lying. They just keep using spin and happy talk to try to survive to the next next news cycle. But talk is cheap. The president repeatedly says things that are nonsense about the false choice. We never had a false choice between zero troops and 100,000 plus occupying forces. We haven't had 100,000 folks in Afghanistan in over a decade. We had 8,000 that then departing President Trump drove down from 8,000 to 2,500. I think that was a bad idea. I think negotiating with the Taliban was always a bad idea. But the President Biden, who is president now, is the one who decided to ignore all of his military advisors and try to go from 2,500 to zero and pretend first in the clip you played, that there was no risk involved when everybody knew that the air support for those 300,000 uh, troops that were with the Afghan National Security Forces, they relied on American air cover. You can debate strategically whether or not they should have been left that dependent on our air cover. But when Biden pulled all these people out, he's the one who created this crisis, and he's just indifferent to the human consequences of all these people who are still trapped behind the uh, Taliban lines, including many Americans. So, Senator Sass, you get more than I I do. I get it. But I'm getting a lot of people asking for help. I'm, a yeah. lot of these groups are asking to come on, like the Scott Mann of the Pineapple Group. Yeah. Congressman yeah. Walsh was telling me about a couple he's trying to get out this morning. 
Uh, and then I found out about the, the arrest of the lieutenant colonel, which I'll get to shortly. And then was as one of uh, this new congresswoman, Matt, uh, uh, Kamek, uh, Kamek has just she was talking about the softball game between Republicans and Democrats tonight. She said, well, I got a call. My my office is working on this story. Listen to this. But last night I got a call and they said there's a flight with 50 plus Americans, SIVs, uh, children, Canadian citizens, and they're in the air. They cannot land. They're being denied uh, any clearance to land in the United States. So we got on the phone. We're immediately in touch with the embassy. We're making it happen, working with the FAA, and we're going to get our Americans home. Where are those people right now? So they're actually in the air right now. They're in the air. They're in the air, yes. And so our team has worked through the night on the calls with operators. There's incredible groups that are working in this space, making sure that our people come home. Oh, my god! Because we know this administration sure won't bring them home. So we're doing the work that this president won't. I mean, Senator, what do you do with this? I mean, this is happening right now. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's just back up to some basic civics for a minute. The, the reason we have three branches of government, a legislature, an executive, and a judiciary, is because the legislature is supposed to be setting an agenda, and the executive branch is supposed to be executing on that agenda. And obviously, the commander-in-chief has unique responsibilities in the time of a national security crisis. The kind of rule of thumb we usually think of is in something that's less than 60 days urgent, the executive branch needs to go on its own. But in general, the executive branch is supposed to be responding to the legislature. And obviously, I applaud that woman for doing all that she's trying to do. My team is trying to do the same thing. But if you if you have a staff of caseworkers, we don't have planes. We don't have the State Department. The executive branch has a commander-in-chief and has a State Department and is supposed to be managing relationships with our allies. And I get outreach from other uh, foreign and defense ministers around the world. I've talked to a, a number of folks in NATO over the course of the last month and a half. And all these people wonder where is the United States, and in particular, where is our commander-in-chief? What would it look like to actually have a president who wanted to lead through some of this stuff? Because Joe Biden has taken the United States to the far left end of NATO now. So at, at the question of how do you treat people that were in the coalition forces that prevented terrorist attacks uh, on our soil for 19 years, NATO wants to be sure that the Taliban is not creating safe havens for groups like al-Qaeda. Um, to, to launch, and the Haqqani network now, to be launching attacks of global reach. And NATO wonders, where the hell is the United States? Because Joe Biden is so bizarrely dovish that he doesn't care about preventing future terrorist attacks, and he doesn't care about the folks that we're trying to get out of the country. And so we've had a lot of allies that have had to help Americans escape because the administration can't be awakened from its slumber of talking about trying to you know, bankrupt the next generation through some new $3.5 trillion spending bill that they constantly want to pivot the attention back from because they don't want to do their jobs. So, you know, they're over a barrel because we're the, one, we're the military and economic superpower. But they remember what happened with Syria. When we pulled all our troops out of Afghanistan, out of Iraq, next thing you know, we have ISIS. And ISIS starts going out and massacring people, this terrorist organization. And then we had to, put, we had to go back in because of the JV team. But it caused everyone in Syria, because yep. Assad bombs everyone, to start heading to Europe. Germany let him in. It cost Angela Merkel her political career and Germany uh, their civil society for a brief period of time. They're not letting them in now, but they know they're going to have another refugee crisis yep. if we don't do something. So we're all hamstrung now. And the Taliban's in control, and they're back to their medieval ways. 
Yeah, we we cannot forget the most basic lesson of 9-11. Maybe it's it's a pairing of two lessons. One is the enemy gets a vote, and if somebody's trying to kill you, you probably just can't wish it away in some academic seminar room. You probably have to recognize that somebody trying to kill you actually creates an existential – it creates a national security issue to which you need to respond. But number two is when we teach our kids what the globe looks like and you you spin it around and you show them the 200 countries on the map, we regularly – think that every country is equally a country because there's a black line around it that defines its border. But it turns out only about 140 of the 200 countries in the world really have territorial control inside their boundaries. And what happened from 1998 to 2001, the reason 3,000 Americans got killed on 9-11 is because the Taliban is is a ridiculous death cult, as you say, but they also aren't good at government. So they didn't actually control their own territory. And so the Taliban didn't attack us on 9-11. Al-Qaeda did, but Al-Qaeda was able to have training camps and to do the logistical planning for the attacks on the World Trade Center and the, and the Pentagon and, the, and Flight 93. Um, all those things happened because Al-Qaeda was able to plan inside territory that Taliban nominally controlled. And so today, the places that you mentioned, places like Syria, um, places like what's, what's increasingly happening uh, in Lebanon, is you have ungoverned spaces that become the launching pads for future attacks. And a good commander-in-chief, somebody who understands the, the lessons that the American people all learned on 9-11, are that you can't allow these ungoverned places to come into being and to become launching pads for future attacks against Americans. It's too late to do it after the fact. You actually need to help prevent this stuff. And regularly you hear people in the mainstream media carrying Biden's water saying things about how the American invasion of Afghanistan that lasted 20 years. No, the American invasion of Afghanistan lasted between six and 12 months because the Taliban was responsible for allowing al-Qaeda to kill many thousand Americans. And after that, there was a government there that we were allied with, united against the idea that the Taliban should come back. And Joe Biden said he was indifferent to that. He wanted to have you know bumper sticker headlines that bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. Well, actually, reality is al-Qaeda is alive and they're driving around in our trucks trying to hunt our people. This isn't over. I wish that wasn't. I wish that wasn't true. But you're 100 percent right. Just to follow up, uh, I've, I followed up with the congresswoman because if you could help with this, I would love to to see the people left behind and hear and and uh, let them understand what else is happening in that country. Here's yeah. what she said: Were they trying to land the plane and they were rejected at the airport? No airport would take them. Yeah. So they took off, had to actually go back to Abu Dhabi and land again. And Abu Dhabi says, you guys can't stay here. And so they are in a pickle. They have children. There's actual Americans, blue passport holding Americans that are on this plane that got left behind. And they have children with them. They have no resources, no nothing. It has been a true mess. But this is this is just one of dozens of rescue missions that are going on. Like I said, the administration has left so many people behind. We saw in the testimony yesterday in armed services that the, the leadership of the military agreed and contradicted the Biden administration. There's even Senator Blumenthal, a left-wing Democrat from Connecticut, said, why isn't there an evacuation czar? Somebody in charge of this. Yeah. Final thought? Uh, there, there, there's, there's no explaining how Anthony Blinken has made his decisions about how to run the State Department. I mean, they've just, they've just lied again and again and again. And there, there isn't an urgency about the fact that when America gives its word, 
people rely on the word of America. That matters for the particular individuals involved. Yeah. Obviously, we're talking about American passport holders and, and green card holders. Um, but in addition, these SIVs, people who drove our troops, who translated for our troops, who were in the foxhole with our troops, yeah. when these people relied on us, these people matter. But the troops matter. The troops that I hear from, they're devastated by the fact that they gave their Got word it. on behalf of the United States government, and they expect the United States to keep their word because it was their word as well. And this matters for the future of diplomatic alliances Sen- against Senator, an expansionist yeah, of China. I have to stop you there. We appreciate it, especially our all listeners in Nebraska. Senator Ben Sass, thank you. Back with your calls in a moment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Why we chose to, why the president chose to leave in the summer versus waiting until the next year. Obviously, a number of things went into his uh, his decision calculus. But, you know, as as we came on board, the, uh, the, the, the agreement that had been made was that we were going to depart by May 1. Uh, we were able to work to get more time to ensure that we could conduct a deliberate uh, and, and safe and orderly uh, retrograde. Uh, but again, um, you know, we, we the, the president made the decision that we would uh, we would we would leave in the summer versus going into the next year. Right. So he did not answer the question, but he talked about the idiocy of getting out during what they know because the terrain's so tough and the weather's so bad as the fighting season. You chose to get out and give the country to the Taliban during the fighting season. If you did it in the winter, at least you would have had three months to queue up and get ready and analyze through our presence on the ground and in the sky what they were prepared to do and maybe what the government would be capable of doing. But instead, no, he waited for the seasons to change. So your explanation, not good. You know what the explanation was, read between the lines? The president wanted to get out right away. He couldn't care less what the calendar said. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Martha McCallum is going to be joining us shortly to provide some instant analysis on the House Armed Services Committee testimony of General Milley, General McKenzie, and Secretary of Defense Austin, uh, many of which is, uh, does not suffice. And it just shows you how President Biden, there's no, it, it, there's no nuance to this. He was going it alone. He had the same vision in 2021 that he had in 2008. Get out. We don't belong there. No big deal. They don't deserve us. Really? Does he ever think about the next day and how to do it? It was going to be messy anyway. That is not acceptable. And I don't think any here here is buying it. What I'm heartened by is a country that was so sick of Afghanistan and the war. We were told, don't bring it up. You know, no one cares. Uh, They care because of how it ended, especially, and what we sacrificed over the last 20 years. Before we get to Charlie Kirk, 
uh, and find out what's going on with Charlie and his great radio show. He's founder and president of Turning Point USA. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Top White House advisors are telling us that Joe Biden's not going to beg. He's not going to beg Democrats to support his plan. He's not going to succumb to that pressure. That he feels at the end of the day that Democrats will rally around their Democratic president and do what he feels Democrats need to do. There you go. Jim Van de Hei of Axios. The debt ceiling is stuck. Bipartisan infrastructure bill frozen. Reconciliation bill is in an icy stare-off between Democrats as they try to debate how to spend trillions of our dollars. The latest coming up. Number two. When the president of the United States tells us this isn't about freedom or personal choice, it's like a bank robber saying this isn't about the money. He's asking people to choose between a vaccine and poverty. That's not fair. The American people won't stand up for it. Uh, that is Mike Lee. Mandate mad- madness. Medical professionals get the axe because they wouldn't take their shot. Educators are on the block on Friday. Law enforcement and teachers next. Is this the way to treat American professionals with vax questions, legitimate vax questions about their own health? Firing them? We'll talk about it. Number one. General Milley, it's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops approximately stay in Afghanistan? Yes. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Uh, Yeah, uh, it's on you, Joe. After Tuesday's hearing and Wednesday's House hearings going on right now, we have yet to find a military advisor who recommend President Biden do what he did when he came to Afghanistan. As we get the latest now uh, about planefuls of Americans, allies, Canadians uh, who can't find an airstrip to land on. Let's bring in Charlie Kirk. Uh, Charlie Kirk, founder and president of Turning Point USA, host of the Charlie Kirk uh, radio show, which is fantastic. Charlie, welcome back. Great to be here, Brian. And I got to tell you, your coverage in Afghanistan has been the best. It's just been unbelievable. So you well, can't thanks. wait for your new book. So we'll, we'll have to chat about that at some point. Yeah, the President Freedom Fighter. I got a few uh, uh, tour stops we'll talk about, and we'll hope to talk to you about it because I know you care about history. I actually saw you sit down with Mark Levin and give through your vast knowledge of the Constitution, American history, because Mark lets you talk, one of his great attributes, um, on his show, and you really got a chance to showcase a lot of the depth. But on this, when it comes to Afghanistan, I am surprised that they actually took their oath into account and said exactly what they said to the president. Mark Milley, I didn't recommend this. Uh, General uh, McKenzie, I didn't recommend this. Uh, Secretary of Defense Austin, not as candid. But I say that all this had, when they said what they said, my next thought is, why did they not resign? They said, we don't do that. If you were ever going to resign after this cataclysmic, ca- catastrophic failure, wouldn't this be the time, Charlie? Oh, I, w- I would think so. I, there's, there's a couple different takeaways I had from the hearing yesterday. And beyond just the fact that they made a different recommendation that the Biden regime ignored, it's also important that there were there were a lot of blunders with actually how the withdrawal was actually executed itself. And that's on those three men that were testifying yesterday. When Millie and Austin came into the press conference and we had Americans still in Kabul, and they said, we don't know how many Americans are in Kabul. We don't have the ability or the capability to get Americans out. It seemed as if they were they were either unwilling or unable to do what was necessary to protect Americans overseas. I'm very underwhelmed, and I'm being very nice here, Brian, on your program, I hear you. by those three men. 
um, because we have we are so much better than this. The, the great generals of our history of Patton, of Eisenhower and MacArthur, they had one thing in common. They took responsibility for their actions when things did not go the way they should have. And then they did what was necessary to save Americans and complete the mission. And so the kind and the other thing that stunned me yesterday, Brian, about their hearing was when none of them knew what happened to President Ghani. Yep. When Joe Manchin, Democrat, asked him, hey, what happened to this guy? And they all look around like, we don't know. How is that acceptable, Brian? It shouldn't be. And when the follow-up question was, and where's the money? How much did he leave with? I don't know. You don't know. You don't know how many people left behind. You don't know why the president left. You had no idea the country was going to fall. I don't know. And then they just asked today, why weren't our men allowed to leave base and retrieve Americans who were told to stay away because a bombing could happen and a terrorist attack could take place? And you had other countries leaving uh, leaving Kabul airport to get their people and we didn't he goes it was you know it was cost prohibitive I didn't think it was going to be worth it okay sorry about that Americans suddenly aren't worth it you mentioned some fantastic generals Austin was a general do you think for a second that I for Rumsfeld wouldn't want and got those guys you think for a second that Patton wouldn't want and got those guys or Petraeus I mean, are they that scared? We have the finest fighting force in the land. We're afraid the Taliban's going to attack us. We beat the men in moccasins in three and a half weeks. It was the 20-year drawout, which was the problem. That's exactly right. And so what this really comes down to is the willingness to act. And also, in my opinion, you know, those men that were testifying yesterday, for, for whatever reason, uh, they look at the military differently than what you and I look at. They look at it more as kind of this, permanent occupational force for social change, um, less about accomplishing the mission as quickly as possible, saving American lives if they're ever put in jeopardy, never leaving a man behind, and destroying the enemy. Uh, the U.S. military is the greatest fighting force in the history of the planet, but I'm afraid it's in really bad hands right now. It is. Um, after what I saw yesterday, and the other question that I, I don't think anyone asked bluntly, but I, I watched most of the hearing, and Brian, maybe you could fill me in on this, which was, did we ever get any clarity on how $85 billion in weapons handed, ended up in the hands of the Taliban? Who, who exactly designed that? Who thought that would be a good idea, where our most sophisticated military technology would end up in the hands of people that sworn enemies of the United States that killed Americans and have been for the last 20 years? We didn't get a good answer to that yesterday, No. other than, well, we, we had to get out in a hurry because the president gave us an arbitrary date to get out. Right. Uh, no, what they said, well, $85 billion is a little high. Uh, and the other thing is we degraded a lot of the equipment we could, which could easily be reverse engineered. And I'm sure we all saw the reports two weeks ago that Iran was in Kabul buying Blackhawks, which yes, is so right. sickening. So I want to I want to be the, the common question we have, and there's very few people closer to the former president than you outside his family. Uh, is what would Trump have done? Yeah, Trump wanted to get out, no doubt about it. But he was also someone who was a stickler for hold to the deal. If you don't hold to the deal, it's all up and we go after you. And he said that to uh, Barada the Butcher, who we got out of prison for some reason in order to take over Afghanistan again. But listen to what General Milley said about the agreement. Under the Doha Agreement, the United States will begin to withdraw its forces contingent upon the Taliban meeting certain conditions, which would lead to a political agreement between the Taliban and the government of Afghanistan. There were seven conditions applicable to the Taliban and eight to the United States. While the Taliban did not attack the United States forces, which was one of the conditions, it failed to fully honor any other condition. 
And that was door. clear. And when Mike Pompeo said, yeah, there was a six-page agreement, we can all read it. And Calazad cut a deal that I don't think it's worth the paper was printed on. I got it. But if you think for a second that Trump would have allowed this to happen, especially when they were violating the deal on the fly a few weeks after he just killed uh, Soleimani, there's no way. But what, in your opinion, because you talked to him a lot offline, he hated the Afghanistan war. But what, in your opinion, you think he would have done? He never would have let this happen. And then, Brian, he would have adjusted with prudence, which great leaders do, while he, when he saw the Taliban violating the deal and marching their way through Afghanistan. So we must understand that not only was this the, the most humiliating kind of chapter in modern, military, modern American military history, but Biden's unwillingness to adapt when he knew what was happening in real time, I think is the crisis that we don't talk enough about which was we were given about five to seven days notice, and that's being at the most generous to Biden. It really could be even more than that in early summer, that all of a sudden Afghanistan was falling apart. What Donald Trump would have done is he would have said, OK, we're going to execute drone strikes. We're not going to give up Bagram. We're going to hold the city, and you really want to play this game? You're not going to like it. He would have been public. He would have confronted them, and he would have been unafraid to do what he did his entire presidency which is use the technology and the capacity available to the United States military, such as the Moab, the mother of all bombs, such as taking out al-Baghdadi or taking out uh, Soleimani, uh, when necessary to protect American interests and American lives, while also his, his opinion, and one that I sympathize with, is that 20 years in one country is not necessarily in the best interest of the country. And I know that, Brian, you know, you, you've been a very articulate and, quite honestly, persuasive defender of why, you know, to stay in Afghanistan. And quite honestly, I think a lot of your points were vindicated in the last couple months. I just want to say that. Right. But President Trump did campaign on this and he did make a promise on it, but he never would have done this ideologically. And that's the biggest problem. Brian. Right. Never form a democracy. Yeah. Ideologically. We pulled yeah, our foot off. The- out no matter what the cost. Yeah. We, we took our foot off the gas on make it a democracy. But when it works to our advantage to keep an eye on Al Qaeda, ISIS or whatever else emerges, that's why we stick around. That's why the CIA bases. That's why Bagram stays to be able to keep an eye on our enemies from China to Russia to Iran. That's why you keep Bagram. And the fact that China is going to take it is such an in-your-face. They're going to take it for free, and they're going to tell the Taliban what they're going to do. Also, if you want to know about the insincerity of the Taliban and their the fundamentalist extremist Muslim uh, doctrine, they are doing business with the Chinese who have put their Muslims in a concentration camp and harvest their organs. They are sterilizing right. their women. If they cared about Muslims, remember they were harassing Americans because we didn't put the Bible on, the, on a shelf and they found it on the ground, and that was an international incident? How insincere do they look now? And what frauds that they're doing deals with China while Muslims are being tortured in China? Well, and, and this is a really important point. So Afghanistan borders China only for about 70 miles on the most eastern part. But China is our greatest enemy, regardless of what you know, Mark Milley says to Congress or what, how he back channels to China and gives them heads up on our confidential you know, military movements. And so now China is able to continue their Belt and Road Initiative. They're able to continue their empire. And if you look at the embassies that are still open in Kabul, it's very interesting, Brian. It's not American. And, you know, we were stormed out of that that country very quickly. But it's China, it's Iran, and a couple other collection of Arab countries, and I believe Russia as well. And so you all of a sudden look at how the Taliban, which so hypocritically 
and so, you know, just strangely, considering they're all Muslims, are now aligned with the secular, godless, atheistic, brutal regime of the Chinese Communist Party, that, as you said, has a million Uyghurs in concentration camps. And you really think the Chinese Communist Party cares about the well-being of the people, the Taliban? No. But the Taliban is doing um, very similarly to what some countries did in the 1930s and 1940s, which is these smaller kind of dictatorships trying to align with what they think is going to be the world-dominant superpower, which is China. And after 20 years, Brian, everything that we sacrificed, we handed it straight to them. It's unbelievable, and it's so humiliating to the men and women that we know that fight the wars, don't talk about them, fight the wars, don't become generals, but become captains and lieutenants. And sometimes their, uh, their, their wounds are invisible, other times they're missing limbs, other times they know friends that lost their lives. And they say, really? Is this what I fought for? So think about that. But lastly, I want to end with Joe Rogan made a lot of news a couple of days ago, and he said, I'm watching Trump over the weekend. I'm seeing the Biden administration over the last nine months. I said there's going to be a rematch and Trump wins. What do you think the chances of a rematch, Charlie? It's looking like he's going to run, Brian. Let me just say I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. I don't agree with him on everything, but who cares? He's entertaining and he's honest and he's fun and he's courageous. Um, And the fact that Joe Rogan is saying this, I think, is very, very interesting. But it looks more and more like Trump's going to run in 2024. I do think that he's going to have to kind of have a 2.0 wrinkle, um, kind of more of a statesman in the moment of crisis, which I think his best moments as president, he did embody that, and he was that type of president, especially as the country's completely falling apart right now. Um, if the election were held today and held you know, honestly, I think he would do very, very well. Um, but there's a lot of time between now and then. But he certainly looks like he's angling and you know, getting ready for another run. And his, his message will be rather compelling, similar to what Grover Cleveland said, you know, um, back when he served non-consecutive terms, which is, you know what you got with me, um, you know my downsides, and you definitely know my upsides. Let's fix this thing and get our country back together. And he won. Uh, Charlie Kirk, founder and president of Turning Point USA. He's got a show coming up in about 40 minutes. You follow him on a lot of affiliates. Charlie, best of luck. Thanks so much, Brian. Talk to you soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, Charlie Kirk, one 408 I'll come back, take your calls. But more importantly, I will welcome Martha McCallum into the studio. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But last night I got a call and they said there's a flight with 50 plus Americans, SIVs, uh, children, Canadian citizens, and they're in the air. They cannot land. They're being denied uh, any clearance to land in the United States. So we got on the phone. We're immediately in touch with the embassy. We're making it happen, working with the FAA, and we're going to get our Americans home. Where are those people right now? So they're actually in the air right now. They're in the air. They're in the air, yes. And so our team has worked through the night on the calls with operators. There's incredible groups that are working in this space, making sure that our people come home. Oh my gosh. Because we know this administration sure won't bring them home. So we're doing the work that this president won't. So that is just the last group that has American and children on it. Martha McCallum here, set to host her show 
at 3 o'clock today. Now, play, can you play the second half of this, Eric? Were they trying to land the plane and they were rejected at the airport and no airport would take them? Yeah, so they took off, had to actually go back to Abu Dhabi and land again, and Abu Dhabi says, you guys can't stay here. And so they are in a pickle. They have children. They're and there's children on there, Canadian children on there, and they went back. So they were supposed to land at JFK. Then they got pushed to Dulles. And then the State Department says, we, we, don't, we don't trust your manifest. We're sending it back. And Jennifer Griffin explained a month ago or three weeks ago, well, the problem is they don't have a chance to screen them. What if some of them had a bomb or they stuck a bomb in a cargo jet? What if that, number one, you put them at the end of the runway. Number two, was everybody else screened, Martha? Were you telling yeah. me we saw that cargo jet? No, there's a Pew poll that just came out that shows that the majority of Americans don't have any confidence in the vetting in the vetting process, right? So, but this is just a, a great example of the complete chaos surrounding this entire situation. It didn't have to be this way. We should have had better documentation of the list of the people that we wanted to get out. We should have had a more organized way to remove them. We shouldn't be in a situation where people are flying around uh, doing circles over Dulles Airport because they've been rejected from Abu Dhabi and now they're trying to get into the United States. And we need to give the American people the confidence that we are properly vetting these people because, my goodness, we've got people coming across the southern border. We've got planes of people coming in from the Middle East. And that is a concern for, for all Americans. Both sides of this is, is very, very concerning. Wow, uh, 100% true, and that's a real unfolding situation. And one pretty consi- one thing pretty consistent over the last two days, there's a lot of questions of what are you doing to get the Americans out and a lot of ridiculous, nonsensical answers from the people in charge of getting those Americans out. Back in a moment. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now, I think you were right, General Milley, when you advised that that um, our credibility would be damaged. Our credibility has has been gravely damaged, has it not, General Milley? I think that our credibility um, with allies and partners around the world and with adversaries uh, is being intensely reviewed by them to see which way this is going to go. And I think that damage is one word that could be used, yes. Damage? Yeah, I would say so. And more damage today. Uh, Martha McCallum here. Martha, you've been watching, covering. I think you were you had your show. Did you have your whole show yesterday? Did you get your uh, whole we, one in? Almost the whole show, yeah. Almost the whole yeah. show. So uh, when you're watching this, your takeaway now as McKenzie and Millie and Austin are navigating these questions. You know, it's – where to begin? I mean, it's so disconcerting to listen to these answers and not – Recognize, you know, there. I just I go back to remember how many times people kept track of the lies that President Trump well, did, nonstop. Right? You know, it's like this morning. It was almost like a running thing at the bottom of the screen. Eight hundred and sixty-five lies, right? Um, and now you have this situation where the president says almost nothing, right? I mean, he's, he has. Uh, we're listening to what his top military brass told him. He said that he did not remember, which is also disconcerting. Them advising him to leave 2,500 troops, but we all know what happened. I mean, he wanted out, 
And there was no way that he was going to do this any other way. And so he rebuffed all of the people in the room, which we now know. I don't understand what they're talking about with this split. It's not clear to me who was on the other side of this split other than the president. But the president assured us that the Taliban would not take over, that the Afghan army would hold after 20 years of training, that al-Qaeda was finished, that they were done, that they were done. That he didn't recall that advice, that it was an extraordinary success, and he also promised, and when they were just talking about this moments ago as you and I were listening, if if you want to leave, we will get you out. Promise. That was a promise. We will get you out. That you was heard, the answer now. Did that you hear, was the answer. Did you hear Senator Tom Tillis yesterday talking about people that they were trying to get out? Yeah. They were sent a video of, of their throats being slashed? No, I didn't see that. Unbelievable. So it is unbelievable. And what did Secretary of Defense Austin just say? So he was just asked by Seth Moulton, who served in the war, who was, I thought did a brave, very brave thing to see for himself what was happening at the airport. I had no problem with him doing that at the time when it was its worst in Kabul airport. Yeah. People were critical of him. Are you kidding? No, I thought your he take would, on that was very interesting and, and so, correct. So Seth Moulton, he's a Democrat, and he ran for president and would won terribly, but he definitely knows what he's talking about. And he mm-hmm. just said, Secretary of State Austin, Secretary Austin, are you going to get our people out? He goes, as many as I can. As many as I can. He said, I mean, are you kidding? Number one, how could you leave them? And that's still your answer three weeks later? And he's got nobody right now on this specifically. Hands over to the state when the questions get tough. And you just heard, as we went to break, an example of 45 people or 75 people on a plane who can't get a base to land on. We're flying around with little kids on the plane, and they're told they can't land. I, I've been highlighting that phrase and I call it the operative phrase, as many as we can. They've been saying that since August 24th. So this is nothing new, what we just heard from General Austin. They have never set the bar at every single person, despite the fact that the president said, we will get, we will bring you home, we will get you out. Those are direct quotes from the president of the United States. But the phrase from Blinken and from defense and state has always been, as many as we can, and from the White House podium as well. So that's a pretty – you could drive a truck through as many as we can. Right. And, and by the way, as Secretary of Defense and a former general, how do you even get those words out of your mouth? Uh, right. As many as we can. When you are training people, you came up, you know what these, these men and women look like, you know what they've sacrificed, you've seen the bodies, you zipped up the body bags, and now you're saying as many as we can, and you even know the enemy. You watch the enemy, al-Qaeda in Iraq, and now you see ISIS, and you see al-Qaeda, and you see the Taliban – Back in Afghanistan, Dan Sullivan said something interesting uh, to me last night. His takeaway was he's still a military officer in the reserves. Cut 22. The president said that his generals recommended that there should be no forces in Afghanistan. That was not true. The president said that al-Qaeda was gone from Afghanistan. That was not true. The president said that um, our military would stay until all Americans were out of the country. That was not true. And Brian, this is the big one. The president continues to say this fiasco was, quote, an extraordinary success. I asked General Milley that. General Milley, in the hearing today, called it a strategic failure. So look, these lies, these are not some kind of minor misstatements. These were huge fabrications at the heart of this foreign policy fiasco, life and death deceptions that we finally were confirming in the hearing today. So, I mean, this is it was unbelievable because, number one, Martha, are you surprised that they were so transparent about their recommendation as opposed to the president's statements? They were fully aware of what the president said to George Stephanopoulos. So were you surprised that they were had no problem not 
making the president look absolutely awful and like the liar that Dan Sullivan. I don't think they have, I don't think they have, have any choice. Because they're under oath. They're under oath. They know what the conversations were. I mean, Jennifer Griffin and Lucas Tomlinson were reporting that these conversations. Do you remember Lucas Tomlinson in the in the press briefing in the middle of the heat of all of this, you know, going back and saying, you, you know, did did they ask to leave 2,500 troops on the ground? Did they ask? Did they ask? And, you know, having a tough time getting anywhere with it. But they, they That's what I thought. We were going to see Admiral Kirby. You know what also? They're, they're going to, you know. I mean, we've already seen the number of books that General Milley has been involved in, and maybe his, there's another book coming, uh, and he wants to be, you know, on the record. And as you, they're under oath. Uh, they have to tell the truth. They tried as hard as they could to put the president in the most decent light possible. But every time they talk about it, they say, well, the president decided we were leaving on August 31st. And every other decision flowed from that and gave us 600 troops to do it. So every other decision flowed from that. Because I can't hold pogrom. I can't hold pogrom with 600. Or the embassy or anything else with 600. Just for the record, he he cooperated with Bob Woodward, Michael Bender, and Phil Rucker for those three anti-Trump books, but could not reveal what went on with the president of the United States, confidential conversations. As Rick Scott pointed out, I foolishly was not able to put this together. He did. How can you cooperate with these journalists, but not cooperate with us when we ask you about those conversations, which is cooperating with the American people. The other big story, and we're going to have his parents on tonight at 7 on primetime, is Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who said this, cut 33 on Facebook. And I'm not saying we've got to be in in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. And he did. And he did it again. They told him to shut up. He didn't. So they put him in jail. Yeah. He's in jail right now he, for telling the truth and making himself old, accountable. He, look who's accountable, right? He's the only person. This, this is extraordinary. I love the two examples that you just put together because they really point to the incredible hypocrisy that we are seeing play out. Honor is so important, right? And we're hearing from General Milley that he, you know, because of honor, he won't disclose his conversations with presidents. I also thought Marsha Blackburn did a great job at nailing this down yesterday. She basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, General Milley, you talked to three authors about a sitting president while you were chairman of the Joint Chiefs to make yourself look good and him look bad. I mean, you know, I don't know how you get around that. Um, I I think that's pretty much what happened. And now you won't disclose anything that you urged this president to do. Um, who was hell-bent on withdrawal, and you you don't want to disclose your conversations with him. And yes, and I look forward to you talking to these parents tonight. I think this is a great booking. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller wanted to hold these people accountable, and he is the only person who's been held accountable. He's in the brig. He is in, he is in the brig, and guess what? Solitary confinement. So they don't want him talking. So they did a Colonel, psychological test of him early on. They asked him to have a psychological yeah. evaluation after he did that first video. And he's like, you know, I went in there. They gave me all the questions. I did the evaluation. They said I was fine. Of course he's fine. He <laughs> made total sense. And he said, I got you know, someone got on LinkedIn and said to me, you know, if you're that upset, resign. And he said, I thought about it. I'm going to resign. So I'm done. Don't court-martial him for yeah. what? You court-martial him for that. Now, technically, the President of the United States made a series of decisions you're making the president look pretty bad by telling him your decision behind closed doors. So why is it okay for Scheller to speak? And it's you know, and it's and it's it's okay. And Millie says it's fine for him to speak to these authors, but it's not okay for Scheller to speak to YouTube. 
Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's unbelievable. And this guy put his money where his mouth is. This guy was actually fighting and training people, and you would think these are the type of people you want to speak up. Now, I understand in the chain of command there's got to be some type of discipline. I understand that. But looking at everything you just compared it to, this one, they'd be better off not bringing this up. Now, right now, Schiller is having it worse because he's in solitary confinement. But I cannot tell you, uh, after doing this yesterday, Michael Waltz uh, sent it to me at 3 in the morning and then Tom Cotton brought it up in the afternoon. And then by the time we covered it, and then Laura Ingram had the parents on last night, everyone's writing, what can I do? What can I do? This is what people are frustrated. They're going to they're gonna go to, this guy is going to be bigger than life soon. You know, it, it is because people people have a very good truth meter, right? And they have a good BS meter. And it makes absolutely no sense. And I agree with you. There has to be discipline. There has to be a chain of command. But but that we've seen that blown up. I mean, General Keene yesterday came on, and he's been very supportive of General Milley with the China phone call and everything else. But he said he should in no way be talking to these authors while he's the sitting commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces and he is serving a U.S. president and talking about him to these writers behind his back. General Keene was ballistic on it. Right. And here's the thing. When the follow-up question was this, were they accurate in portraying your remarks? I didn't read the book. My, there's no way he didn't read the book. And, that and is totally accurate. if he didn't read the book, my question is like, then why are you talking right. to them? What? If you're going to talk to all these people, don't you want to make sure that you were represented accurately? Yeah. yeah, here's what Rick Scott told us today. He was incensed. He was in the, he's on the Armed Services Committee and questioned yesterday. Well, but, but Millie, General Millie can go out there and talk to reporters about their writing a book about the prior president, and he's got sensitive information, right? So what's, we're, there's a double standard here. If, 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 they, if you're not allowed to talk about what you think about these things, then how can that individual be in prison and General Milley can be sitting there testifying in front of Congress? Little, so such a I mean, great point. Such, right. So here's the thing. They're just now having a questioning right now about how could you leave all this stuff behind. I did not know this. If, if your gun is taken, your officer pays the price if you lose your gun or anything like that, your uniform. We gave all uniforms, all our equipment, all our goggles, all our weapons, all our hardware, all our vehicles. We gave it over. Yeah. Now, you talk about a double standard. If one soldier, one Marine loses one weapon, they're, they're in danger of being fired on the spot. Who's getting fired yeah. for leaving all of our money behind it's, it's a arming point. a terrorist regime? Bill Bennett tells a great story about having dinner with his son who was um, serving in uh, on a base in California. And the son, his son called and said, I can't make it to dinner, Dad, because somebody lost a pair of night vision goggles. And we are all hands on deck, so to speak. They're not in the Navy, but they were on the base um, until, they, until we find them. No one can leave the base until we find these night vision goggles. Now they're all over Kabul. Uh, Martha McCallum is going to stick around and tell us what she's going to be having on her show. We're going to watch some more of these testimony, bring a few uh, cuts back and wrap up the hour. I'll be on uh, at 7 tonight, and I'm just trying to look at one of my guests will be, uh, I know we'll have Michael Walsh will be on uh, for sure. Uh, Coley Shimpkis is going to be on with us from the uh, Republican-Democratic softball game at Nationals, the Nationals game, which they're getting a lot of news out of this, obviously, as they effort to try to jam down our throats, a reconciliation package that is pure agenda-driven. Uh, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. It would be disastrous for the American economy, for global financial markets, and for millions of families and workers whose financial security would be jeopardized by delayed payments. Uh, that was Janet Yellen, who is a motivational speaker. In a program. That was her TED Talk. <laughs> Uh, so we are stuck without raising the TED ceiling, Martha McCallum. And we also have a situation where we can't pass a bipartisan bill that barely got through the Senate. It got, it's got 19 votes, I should say. And now in the House, they don't want to pass the 1.2 unless they agree to a reconciliation bill. Where do you see this going today? Well, I, you know, it's my experience, and we've watched this many, many times over the course of history. Everybody yells and screams about the debt ceiling. Uh, nobody seems to have the guts to actually allow us to hit these ceilings. We just keep raising the credit card level again and again and again like no American citizen would ever be able to do. We have absolutely no interest in Washington in keeping our spending under control in any way that would allow us to uh, to function under these ceilings the way that they are. And I think that there'll be a deal. I think there'll be some kind of deal. I, I think that when you get to the point where if you settle for $2 trillion, $2 trillion, um, and that's sort of like a moderate stance to agree to $2 trillion in spending that will absolutely fundamentally change the U.S. economy, as President Biden has said clearly, that's the way he sees it and that's what he wants. He believes that's the right direction for the country. We will look more like the U.K. or France or Poland under this kind of economy. And if that's what people want, they should you know, absolutely vote for that. But that is the reality of what it will look like. Roads and bridges, maybe if there's $400 billion in the original so-called bipartisan package that was in the House. What you're talking about is the reconciliation package, which is 3.5, when you right. do the math, is more closer to 5 than 4. And now they're saying, since Joe Manchin's barking on it and Senator Sinema is barking on it, and some others, they're saying to Bernie Sanders, I'm not voting the for the one point as well. Exactly. So now we, we, you can't do one without the other. To Thursday, there's supposed to be a vote. Uh, so we're going to see how this goes. But you think he's going to get a deal because they know you will sink his presidency without it. So Democrats, will, will Democrats be that bullheaded and politically dumb? Not to do something. You know, I think last time I was here, we were talking about Harold Ford Jr., who was just looking for them to find some common ground in order to get something passed. And you look at the $400, $500 billion bill, and there was a Trump infrastructure deal that was around $900 billion that was proposed, which would be a pure infrastructure deal. You get a lot of agreement on that. But that just isn't the world that we live in right now. It's, it's you know, burn everyone else's house down. And I think it's, it's a very, very destructive environment in Washington. And I think you're going to see some sort of deal passed, and everyone's going to pat themselves on the back. And we're going to raise the debt ceiling and do a CR to keep spending more and more money because most of these folks have never had an actual job or run a business. Some of them have, but most of them haven't, and they want to be reelected. Cradle to grave social spending and, and tree Literally. management. Uh, here's a little tree from equity. Jim, uh, Tree Equity, my fault. Uh, Jim <laughs> Vandehive from Axios, Cut 51. Top White House advisors are telling us that Joe Biden's not going to beg. He's not going to beg Democrats to support his plan. He's not going to succumb to that pressure and do kind of what uh, Congresswoman Dingell was saying, that he feels at the end of the day that Democrats will rally around their Democratic president and do what he feels Democrats need to do. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of frustration among Congresswoman Dingell and others about that approach, because their feeling is, listen, this is $3.5 trillion. It's the largest, most transformative substantive piece of legislation that Democrats would pull off. In and their by the way, we just got, Alice just told me, Senator Sinema was back at the White House yesterday, uh, Joe Manchin today. 
uh, Cinema is the one that's got Rokahana saying that she is she's a wild card. They think that Joe Manchin will fall in line. Yeah. Uh, I think I think you will at a lower number. Um, you know, he's been sort of putting those messages out since last week. Oh, the president just told us to come up with our number, all of that. I, th- I think they find a way to get it done. And I understand how um, Congresswoman Dingell feels, because when you're in uh, areas where people don't want to see this kind of spending happen, you're going to have a tough time. It's going to be tough for them in 2022 on this. Who bill. can we expect to see at three o'clock? So we're going to talk to John Ratcliffe and um, to. Uh, to uh, Congressman Matt Rogers, who, who I'm, I'm sorry, Mike Turner, who did a masterful job, I thought, in his questioning today. So we're going to bounce off the facts off John Ratcliffe based on what Turner was asking. All right. And tonight on Primetime, Chris Christie, Senator Kennedy, uh, Congressman Michael Waltz. Martha, thanks so much. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks, Joe. Brian. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.